Genesis chapter 6, verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So Genesis 6 is the first time we see the word covenant used in the Old Testament. However, the concept goes back to the garden. There are covenants between men in many passages in the Old Testament, as well as covenants between God and man. And while people in the church have heard of the concept of a marriage covenant, few really honor it because the marriage covenant is between three, not just two, God, the husband, and the wife. Both spouses have a common understanding of their spiritual foundation, which is Christ, and they now come together in marriage to be joined together and become one. But the road isn't easy, and there are seasons in marriage when one or both spouses are going through a tough time trying to figure life out. We change. As time goes on, we grow. We experience new things, and some of those new things bring in difficult seasons. But having that foundation of faith in Jesus means that we trust him and we know that he has our back. So if one spouse is acting like a jerk and the other is wanting to pack their bags, we know that the love of God is at work in us and we hang in there. And that allows God to do the work. We do what God wants us to do. We can't fix our spouse, but we can be obedient to the Lord. And covenants in the Bible days sometimes involve a blood sacrifice where an animal would be sacrificed or killed and cut into two pieces. And both parties involved in the covenant would then walk through the middle of those two pieces, making the statement that if this covenant is broken, this is what's going to happen to us. Someone's going to die. And the idea was to take the covenant serious and don't break it. So now let's look at the marriage covenant. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Now, they knew the scriptures, and they were very familiar with this verse. And Jesus is basically saying, Think about what the word says, guys. And he adds in verse 6, They are no longer two, but one flesh. And here's the key to that passage. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. God has joined them together. So most people have no idea how God looks upon marriage. They don't really care, I don't think. Most people, not all, but most will have some type of minister perform their ceremony. And that minister, depending on their faithfulness to the Lord and his word, may cite something from the scriptures. And by accepting this and vowing to this towards the ceremony, The husband and wife express some degree of belief in God, or at least belief in a higher power, and that makes them accountable. God joins people together, even unbelievers. I was totally an unbeliever when I got married, but the circumstances were so consistent with biblical teaching, I didn't know it at the time, but now I know, looking back, without a doubt, it was God who joined us together. And continuing in Matthew 19, 7, they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And this is referring back to the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 and 4. There are stipulations allowing a divorce, but this is in no way a command as they are trying to make it out to be. They said that Moses commanded them, and that's not true. Moses never commanded them. 
And like today, in Jesus' time, there was a big problem with divorce, and conflicting teachings from the religious leaders made the issue even more problematic. Some teachers allowed divorce for just about any reason, while others were more careful in their approval to destroy a family. And Jesus continues in Matthew 19, verse 8, And he said to them, Because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And the hardness of heart is a problem that plagued the Israelites from the beginning. God referred to the Israelites in several passages in the Old Testament as stiff-necked or stubborn because their hearts were hard. And Paul uses the same language in Romans 2, 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So just think about all of those failed or failing marriages. How often do you find at least one of the spouses behaving in a way that is stubborn and ungodly? But as Paul says, the heart that is hard, refusing to repent, can expect judgment from God unless they stop being a jerk and start submitting to God and one another in love. As it says in Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we do submit to one another in our marriage out of love for God. So the marriage covenant involves both spouses submitting to one another to honor Jesus. This becomes crucial in conflict resolution when one won't budge on an issue. The other can simply take it to the Lord and say, look, I'm submitting to my spouse's way in this issue because I want to honor you in this, Lord. And this can do a lot of good unless, of course, the issue doesn't honor God, then there's a bigger problem. But if the issue is something that the Lord would commend the submitting spouse for, then even though they don't get their way, they have honored the Lord and there is peace in that as well as reward. So even if we don't get our way, God will bless us for our obedience in other ways. And we continue to push forward through this life, looking forward to that day when we're with him. Now, Bible covenant started in the opening chapters of the Bible. Genesis 2.16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there's a covenant with Adam. And it didn't take Adam long to break that covenant, and the results were disastrous for everybody. Other covenants to specific men were Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Levi, Phinehas, and David. And of course, the new covenant between God and man ushered in by Jesus. And covenants between God and man often have a sign or something that calls back to remembrance the covenant so that future generations won't forget it. So for example, in Noah's covenant with God in Genesis 9-11, it says, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you than every living creature that is with you for all future generations, that I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So after the flood, that global catastrophic event, the environment, which was once tropical throughout the entire earth, now lost that vapor canopy covering the planet, and we no longer had a tropical environment. It transitioned into what we see now. And as a result, there were now rainbows when it rained. Apparently, there were no rainbows before the flood. And God used this natural phenomenon to remind Noah and all future generations that his agreement with Noah was not to repeat a worldwide catastrophic flood. So when Noah and all future generations see the rainbow, we remember God's promise to Noah. It's a sign bringing us back to remembering that. Genesis 17.10 to Abraham 
God speaking, it says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So Abraham receives the covenant from God, and the sign of the covenant was that all males must be circumcised to remember this covenant. And that would be a constant reminder of the covenant between Abraham and God. And then God gave the nation Israel a covenant through Moses. In Exodus 19.5, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God's telling Moses to tell them that. And then in Exodus 31, 13, it says, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. This is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And he repeats it in verse 17. It is a sign between me and you and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So when Jews observe the Sabbath day, the Saturday, Sabbath, they're remembering this covenant between God and Israel. Observing the Sabbath calls them back to remembering that. And in Luke 22, Jesus, he took bread when he had given thanks, and he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so when we as believers celebrate communion, we are remembering the covenant. So in marriage, we give rings, which also call us back to the remembrance of the covenant we made before God with our spouse. And every time we look at the ring, we are reminded that we are part of a marriage covenant with our spouse and God. And again, Jesus said, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So the marriage covenant, very serious. The rings are a sign calling us back to remember that covenant. It is between a husband, a wife, and God. God is right smack dab in the center of that covenant, bringing in holiness into an unholy couple. None of us are holy without God, but he injects his holiness, his power, his love, all of these attributes of God through the power of his Holy Spirit so that we may glorify him and we may become the light of God in this world. And our marriage is symbolic of that relationship between Jesus, who is the groom, and the bride of Christ, who is his church. We submit to him to glorify God, and he blesses us in that relationship where we one day will be with him forever. Thank you.